Welcome to another episode of Odyssey and Muse. I'm John Jerko, and this is a podcast where we explore adventure, creativity, and living life without a map. In this episode, I'll be talking with my friend Hannah Nickel. We'll go into her early life growing up in Nigeria, the last four years she spent living in China and traveling Southeast Asia, and her desire to continue traveling the world and eating new and amazing foods. Lots of great stuff in this one, so here we go. All right, welcome to the show, Hannah. How you doing? Hi, John. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. It's uh, it's been a while since we talked. Um, it has. Uh, did you just go on a trip to Cambodia? Yes, just got back a couple days ago. It was a quick weekend trip that um, I decided to do because I had enough frequent flyer miles for a free plane ticket. Oh, that's kind of exciting. So you're like, where where do I want to go that I haven't gone yet? Yeah. Where, have you been there In before? Cambodia. I had never been to Cambodia. It was actually the last on my list of countries in Southeast Asia uh, that I hadn't been to. As far as I, yeah, as far as I can think of. Why was it the last? You just couldn't think of anything? I think I've been, I think I've actually been fortunate enough in the past five years Mm -hmm. that I've been living in this part of the world to have seen virtually all of Southeast Asia in terms of countries. Yeah, yeah. What did you like about Uh, Cambodia? Cambodia, well, I'm a big foodie, so I appreciated, um, I appreciated, of course, a new culinary experience. And and my favorite dish was um, called amok. And they have a fish version. uh, And they have a vegetarian version. uh, And meat versions. But basically, it's a type of curry, Uh uh, but a Cambodian twist on curry that is very turmeric heavy. Oh, okay. And I particularly enjoyed that dish. I also, of course, enjoyed the uh, temples. You know, Angkor Wat is the big uh, claim to fame. And then there's also Angkor Tomb, where Tomb Raider was filmed. Uh, That. So did you tour all those sites then? I did. uh, I went on a (laughs) tuk-tuk, which is a, uh, it's sort of a motorcycle-driven cart. Uh Uh-huh. And you you see tuk-tuks all over Thailand and Laos and Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, and uh, took a tuk-tuk for the day, and <laughs> the tuk-tuk took us to all the temples, and and uh, then back home. <laughs> awesome. It's lovely, easy. So you said you've been in Southeast Asia for five years now. I have. It it's seems crazy. like ages. So what took you out there to begin with? How did you end well, up <laughs> when I was in grad school, uh, I decided to do sort of a study abroad slash research trip to Taiwan mm-hmm. because I had traveled. I had been lucky enough to travel quite a bit, but I had never been to Asia. And so I jumped at the opportunity to go to Asia and uh, ended up spending two weeks doing research and then two weeks traveling on my own uh, all around Taiwan. And Taiwan's just this tiny little island, so it's very manageable yeah. to do, to see most of it in a month. So I saw some of the outlying uh, smaller islands around Taiwan and the south and the north, of course, Taipei. And I just absolutely fell in love <laughs> with that country everything from the 
you know, the kind people, the beautiful tropical weather, the lush greenery, the delicious exotic fruits, the night markets, the food. And it was just so different from anything I'd seen in the U.S. or in Europe that I thought when I got back to the States, I thought, I've got to get myself back to Asia. (laughs) You know, this is this is it's a different way of uh, of seeing what it means to be human that I, you know, being in another part of the world that's so different from what you're used to. And so when I finished grad school, I applied for a Fulbright uh, teaching assistantship. And I I applied to Macau, which mm-hmm. is a, uh, it was a Portuguese colony right next to Hong Kong. Um, and I ended up going there for a year uh, working with college students uh, basically teaching, teaching English and, you know, doing speech and leading the debate team and doing some drama stuff. And yeah, so that was all student- part of the Fulbright scholarship? That was all, yes, that was all okay. the Fulbright fellowship. And now I, we were talking a little bit about Vegas before the show and isn't Macau kind of like the Vegas of Southeast Asia? Exactly. <laughs> that is what it is. It, it, it's casinos galore. Really? <laughs> yes. It is It is Asian Vegas. Uh, everything from, you know, the ritzy hotels mm. to the casinos to prostitutes and strippers yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the works. The whole nine yards. Um, yeah, the whole nine yards. That is Macau. But then there's also, it's really interesting because there's also this um, very traditional... Uh, side of Macau, you know, the locals are super conservative and traditional, yeah. and you know, they they're just it. W- it used to be a fishing village before uh, it became this. <laughs> started building casinos. gambling mecca. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> is there any history like the mob there or something like you know Las Vegas is supposedly all started? Yes, by there the mob. is. Yes, yeah. there is. What, what is a little bit of it? <laughs> oh man. Was it I was it mob really. related or like crime related or? I should really know. I I know that I know that there there was, um, and now I'm tempted to to give you know Wikipedia and and give you a, a, a more, you don't have to give um, a complete history. a more educated <laughs> a more educated version. But yes, there, I just know there, nothing, so I was curious. There is something yeah. something some kind of a mob in in Macau. Um, it's like the triads or something. Hey. Yeah, there's a yes, exactly. I you probably know more than I do, John. <laughs> I'm just making it up right now. <laughs> um, it sounded scary. I just pretended it didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were there on Fulbright, um, and um, how long were you there? You said about a year. So I was there for about a year, and don't tell the Fulbright Foundation this, but <laughs> <laughs> during that year, <laughs> I got to travel to. 14 countries. Um, actually, okay, this, this isn't quite fair. I finished grad school, Mm -hmm. um, in the spring. I had a summer off during that summer. I went to visit my sister who's in Germany while I'm in Germany. I I traveled around a few different other countries in Europe. And then I made my way to Asia because I had three months to travel. So Uh I backpacked for three months, went to Macau with my backpack, (laughs) with my backpack (laughs) and nothing else. Yeah. And, um, and after three months of traveling, eventually landed uh, landed in Macau, and I'd I'd already you know been to I don't maybe eight countries yeah, at this yeah. point. And then that year, uh, <laughs> it was just so fabulous. It was such a flexible um, 
work environment yeah. that uh, we were sort of able to take off and go on holiday, um, you know, quite often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like and, every uh, <laughs> every week I was somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and and at the time I thought, you know, I'm going to make the best of this. This is my one year abroad before I start real life and a real job and, you know, I'm doing the 9 to 5 in front of a computer thing. And so I just traveled like crazy along with all the other Fulbrights. Yeah. And um and had a great year. And at the end of that year, well, I didn't end up going home like I thought I would um, because I was asked by um, the director of the Hong Kong America Center in, in Hong Kong mm-hmm. um, to apply for a job at a, a college in Hong Kong. And so I applied along with another Fulbright and uh, and they they offered us a job, you know, living in a, a bigger city. Yeah. And Excuse making me. twice as much, and we thought, okay, let's Perfect. go. You know, let's let's do this all over again. And we are both still here four years later. Wow. So, are you still teaching then? Is that kind of is that kind of your thing? I I am still teaching. Yeah. So my title now is a visiting lecturer okay. in the division of languages and communication. Um, it sounds very professional. At the Community College of City University, and. Um, and so I've been teaching advanced ES, EFL uh, students, what, what we call them. <laughs> and they're, they're local Hong Kong students, usually 18, 19, 20s, uh, who are getting their associate degree. And I'm teaching classes like communicating across cultures, English professional communication skills, English for academic purposes, which is... Uh, you know, research, how to do research, how to do APA style, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah. And, and uh, some student affairs stuff as well. I got to lead a study tour to Australia, which was nice. Um, because I, you know, I got to go to Australia (laughs) as well. I've got so many things to ask you about, but (laughs) I've been really lucky. Maybe let's start. Um, Back where, uh, where where we met, back at BGSU. Um, yes. I don't know. Is that when you kind of got the bug for like education and stuff? Was it before that? Because I remember, I think we met in Marv Belzer's Eastern Philosophy class, which is kind of <laughs> coincidental. We, we did, studying, and we were studying Eastern Philosophy back then. <clears throat> wow, and, you know, uh, I never, I never really made that connection, but yeah. maybe that is sort of where it the genesis where it started. <laughs> mm, yeah. And uh, we both, you studied philosophy as well, right? Yeah, I did. As it, was an just, undergrad. it was a minor, philosophy and then and I turned film. it into a double major because I was like, I, lo- I loved it so much. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it too. Um, you know, not, not the most practical thing in the world, but I think it gives you what you need not to, be, not to need those practical things in life <laughs> as much, right? Yeah, it gives you a way to look at the um, world, though, that I think is important. So. I think so too. So yeah. what was your major then? You... Did you double major so, or minor in philosophy? Or? So I, yep, yeah, I studied philosophy as mm-hmm. an undergrad. And then, uh, and then my master's was in hi- higher education and student affairs because I thought, okay, I've got to somehow narrow my focus <laughs> a bit, you yeah. know, and decide a, a path. And uh, so you had asked about um, where my interest in education yeah. began. And it actually did begin at BGSU because uh, 
for me, going to college was what opened the world to me. Um, I, I had grown up in this very traditional, conservative, um, well, dogmatically religious household. And I, I ha- hadn't had the most happy childhood. Yeah. And when I went to college, it was like suddenly I was allowed to think freely, express my opinions, believe something other than the holy book yeah. and all the rules in it and, you know, conservative Protestant doctrine. And I was allowed to think about, you know, what does it mean yeah. to be good? Does God exist? You were allowed to uh, think about it... things that were taboo originally to even consider thinking yes, about? Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. So for me, it my life completely transformed when I was 18 and I went to college and I started learning about science. I mean, science not rooted in creationism, yeah. oh, wow. um, you know, rooted in evolutionary theory and, and you know, the scientific method. And, and uh, were you homeschooled growing up? I was homeschooled for most of my childhood. Yeah. And I, so I was either homeschooled or I was sort of put in and out of um, religious schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I had a very sheltered um world you know childhood and a, and a very limited worldview yeah. at the time and you, i'm sorry i keep interrupting you no, oh, no <laughs> you, it's okay you did travel a lot though as a kid right was it i don't know if it was for missions yes. or because you were in did you grow up in africa yeah john i i did i i grew up in nigeria so for the first 10 years of my life i was in a remote rainforest village um in it's, it's kind of crazy a, like what was, <laughs> what was that experience like? And then what was the shift to like moving back to the U.S.? Well, it was it was a village where people lived in mud huts and had no electricity or mm. running water. Uh, water was drawn from a well. You know, candles were used for light. Um, there were no roads. There were no cars. Uh, people were farmers, primarily um, subsistence farmers. Uh and I mean, it was a very rustic childhood. Let's yeah. let's put it that way. <laughs> and the only exposure I had to American culture um, was was my family. So yeah. I was sort of I grew up speaking Gokana, and then with my mom, I would speak English. <laughs> with my mom and dad, oh, I would nuts. speak English. Do you still remember any and, of it, or is uh, it kind of faded away? Oh, it's it's really unfortunate, but it's gone. Really, it's completely escaped my memory. Yeah, you were pretty uh, young. Which I guess happens when when uh, when it's not put into use. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, uh, so you you'd wanted to know about the transition. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of. I'll try to make this brief. I'll try to make this <laughs> brief, but in a, in a nutshell. Um, the number of schools that I've attended, I think, is 14 oh, wow. over the course of my life. Um, and, and most of my years had been spent homeschooling. So we did. We, so we, we lived in this little tribe in, in the village for, for eight years. And then there was a, there was a, a massacre uh, in the area where we lived, there was oil conflict in Nigeria and we had to move to Port Harcourt, which is a bit of a bigger city. Went to, uh, an international school for a while, then, then moved back to the States, went to a Lutheran school, then moved in Ohio, then moved to West Virginia, went to a Baptist school, moved. I mean, we just kind of, we just kind of jumped around. I went to 
Catholic school and a non-denominational school, but all, you know, all very religious yeah. and, um, and a lot of, a lot of new, new environments mm-hmm. to, to adapt to in my childhood, which I think has actually benefited me in my adulthood, given the life that I've chosen of yeah, instability. You, you've always seemed to me to be very, very open and easy to talk to. And just like, you're, I don't know, people are, are not turned off by you. <laughs> that, oh, that thank you. It right. doesn't sound <laughs> right, but you know what I mean. I mean, you just, I don't know if it's because you travel, you know, you move so many times, it just seems like you have that ability to connect with people very easily. Maybe, maybe. Adaptability is, it's, it's definitely something that I can say that I've developed and there are negative, yeah. perhaps negative aspects as well. You know, like a, I get bored very quickly um, is the other side of the coin. And, and if I <laughs> like don't have social ADD kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if I'm in a place for too long, like four years in Hong Kong, despite all the traveling that I've gotten to do just yeah. seems unbearably long to me. And I, <laughs> I am so excited that I'm about to get out, um, and go on to the next, the next adventure. Yeah. Um, but, um, Yes, very, very quickly, just to sort of tie yeah, yeah. tie what we just talked about together and answer your question. Um, education did become important for me when I when I went to college, and I think that's why I chose to pursue it as a career because uh, I wanted to give other people that opportunity, or at least be part of the process, mm-hmm. because it was just such a transformative experience for me to go to college and uh and I I wanted to to be part of helping other people become who they are and seek find what they what they want and what makes them happy and what their path is especially if they haven't had a childhood that sort of uh directs them there (laughs) or um yeah what about you, John? Was was am I allowed to ask you questions as well? <laughs> oh, you, I, I try to keep it more on you, but yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> Did do you think that your uh, educational experiences were part of transforming your life in a positive way? Or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for for me, um, I well, I went to like three different. Oh, they were all Ohio colleges, but I transferred a lot because I really didn't know what I wanted to do after I left high school, and uh, I I think I took a philosophy class at, at Ohio State. I went there for a year, and then I went to, to Youngstown State back near where I live for a little while until I got hooked into film, and then I moved to BG because I had a film program there. But when I went to BG, I kind of started taking more philosophy, and I think at the time I was going through my own little existential crisis. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think the I think philosophy, yeah, <laughs> the philosophy <laughs> classes really were kind of cathartic in that way. You know, they kind of opened yeah. me up to, you know, I, I don't think um, my family wasn't like uber religious, but I did grow up mm. Catholic, and you know, there wasn't really any other worldview in my life, so. I think philosophy allowed me, I, I always liked science a lot too growing up. Mm. So there was that conflict and philosophy allowed me to kind of be like, it's okay to question things. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. you, you, you study all these different philosophers and you realize like a lot of them have interesting ideas, but no one really has the end all be all answer. 
and I think it's okay to not have the answer is kind of like one thing that I learned from it, you know? Absolutely. It's the conversation matters more than the answer does. Right. So yeah. I guess in that way it was it was pretty um pretty eye opening experience. I, I I miss college. <laughs> but uh I just Do miss you? that experience. Yeah, I just miss the open yeah. the open atmosphere, I guess. Where right. people are learning and and always kind of trying to trying to uh have new conversations about new things because i don't know in day-to-day life it people get into routines very easily so it's it's harder to have those conversations i think so i kind of miss those yeah you're you're (laughs) right you know people do get caught up in the stresses of paying bills and the nine to five and and so on and yeah yeah everyone's just like hey how's your day and good how's your okay let's move on Mm, now (laughs) right and maybe that's a necessary part of getting older um but you can't have a deep philosophical conversation with everyone you meet otherwise you wouldn't get too far that's that's that is absolutely (laughs) true and if there are practical needs that yeah you know those those tend to supersede (laughs) It, it is a nice time to be a, it, it is a, a, a nice environment when you're a student and you sort of feel like you have all this space to ruminate. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's rewarding. Well, for me to to be in that environment and, and, you know, I hope to sort of stay in that, in that environment and maybe it's not me doing the ruminating, but at least I get to as much anymore, yeah. but I get to witness other people sort of, uh, asking those questions for the first time. Um, yeah. You, do, do you feel and, like you still get to have those conversations with them as they're kind of, you know, mm, no, I'm not more, teaching ph- philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not quite as, um, yeah, it's not quite as sort of as stimulating, uh, but we do have conversations about cultural issues. Um, political issues sometimes, you know, there's a big homophobic, um, culture here that I do talk to my, with my students about, um, because it's, yeah, I mean, Chinese society is traditionally quite way more conservative. uh, Yeah. Quite conservative. And, and it is, yeah, it is something that we talk about. Racism is, is a bit more accepted here, Uh uh, societally. I mean, it's, it's okay to, um, to say that you're afraid of black people or South yeah. Asians or whatever, it's <laughs> sort of societally acceptable. So sometimes when the, when the opportunity is there, um, I will try to dig a bit deeper into those deep rooted, deeply rooted, yeah. um, belief does that, systems. Does anyone ask you directly? Questions. Because I mean, looking at the United States right now, we just, you know, gay marriage is now federal law so i don't yes. know if other countries see that and be like so what's the deal <laughs> i i actually have not been asked uh directly by my students i you know even though hong kong is a world city and mm-hmm. there's there are a lot of expats and people are traveling and there's there's a lot happening here people speak english my students don't seem to be be very up on world news yeah uh so you know, they might not even really know <laughs> Realize, that yeah, is yeah. happening. Well, I mean, if you think about it from here, you know, I mean, the U.S. you know thinks they're the only only country in the world. I think sometimes, but 
you, <laughs> yes. you don't hear too much about you know different uh, different things that are going on in other countries unless That's they directly true. impact the US. Right. <laughs> did so. did you hear about the protests that were happening in in Hong Kong um, about uh, almost a year ago? By chance? Uh, I don't think so. But I'm no? like the worst okay. when it comes to even news in the United States. So <laughs> oh, it's, it's okay. I I had just wondered as sort of a comparison um, and contrast what, because what were they over? Maybe it'll ring a bell. Oh, well it was, it was called the umbrella revolution and uh, Hong Kong is a bit terrified at the moment of being taken over by China um, oh, okay. because they, they had still been under British rule until 97. And then there was a handover to China. But uh, again, I'm, I'm not great on, on history and politics, but um, but there um, there was some kind of an agreement that was ending last year yeah. that terrified people because it meant China would have more power and people in Hong Kong don't have the right to vote. And uh, what they were asking for in this umbrella revolution was basically the right to vote um, and... So they're almost like a territory, kind of like the U.S. has some territories in the Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's like Puerto Rico. China's Puerto Rico or something. It's uh, Macau. (laughs) Macau and uh, Hong Kong are called special administrative regions of China. So they, you know, they have their own economic systems. They Mm -hmm. have their own currency. Yeah, because Hong Kong Uh, is way more um, capitalist than China was. Yes. Yeah. Hong Kong is, yes, it's as capitalist as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get back to you a little bit. Um, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, so you did a lot of traveling in Southeast Asia. What did you pretty much hit all the countries there then? <laughs> said Cambodia was like last on the list. I don't know how many countries are in that region, but maybe talk a little I've... bit about some of your travels. Okay, sure. Um, so I've been lucky enough to visit over 30 countries now, uh, visit or live in. Mm-hmm. And most of them have been during the past five years as I've been in Asia. And it's, it's, it's not because I'm wealthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, a, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I wish I had the money to travel. And uh-huh. and, I, and I and, you know, I I I, look, I see them with their iPad and their Mac and their iPhone and uh, all their, their Prada gear. bag, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all their gear. And um, like, and it doesn't think, cost that much money, but you got to yeah. figure out where you uh-huh. want to spend it. right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think, oh, well, you know, for the price of that that bag, you could have three plane tickets, you yeah. know. Um, especially if you pay attention to, you know, things like frequent flyer miles. I've already taken a couple of free flights just because I paid attention to the frequent flyer mile program. And, you know, you can look at airlines have deals and, um, you know, if you make, I think for me, I've gotten to travel so much because I decided quite early on in life that that was one of my main priorities in life is to see as many places, experience as many cultures, um, taste as many different types of foods, hear as many different types of music and so on as I possibly could. And that's what's going to bring me joy and fulfillment 
during my short existence on earth. So mm. that's been, that's been where most of my, you know, my time and energy and resources have gone. So, um, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't had my own computer for the past few years. I actually just, I actually just got one because I'm, well, I, it's boring. I won't go into it, but I just got a computer <laughs> for the first time, my very first laptop, um, for the first time in, in, you know, five years or something. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's just a $200 Asus, but that's all you need. Um, yeah, that's all you need. Exactly. Um, and you know, I, uh, I don't buy clothes. I don't get my hair done or my nails done or, you know, yeah. whatever. Literally everything, <laughs> everything goes into these, into these plane tickets. And, um, well, how, and... how much is like the average plane ticket in that? Cause right now you're pretty much just hopping around Southeast Asia, right? I don't know. Is, yeah. is it relatively mm -hmm. inexpensive just to travel in that region? It is relatively inexpensive. Uh, so you can go to Taipei for a hundred something us dollars, yeah. uh, in Taiwan, you can go to China for there. There are a lot of destinations that for just for under a couple hundred dollars, you can just wow. jet off. Yeah, that's, that's um, not bad at all. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite, quite good if you think about the cost of a plane ticket from the US. And this this is why so many Americans are so culturally isolated and don't get to travel as much. Just simply the the plane ticket's probably going to be closer to the thousand yeah, dollar range. It's that, that initial ticket out of the United States to another country that <laughs> that that hurdle. is it. That is the hurdle. And and to to do a trip and to see a lot of places, it really makes sense to, you know, book a three months, six month period to travel, which is really difficult to do unless you're a student yeah. or between jobs. Um, and then it's a, and then it's a professional risk, of course, to just go traveling without a job and then expect to come back and find something, yeah. um, which is what I'm about to do. Um, by the way, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> never mind that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really not easy. So if, you know, for, for those Americans who, want to uh travel around southeast asia for example i do recommend that you you know you get yourself a plane ticket to bangkok or to hong kong or mm -hmm. somewhere else central and you can probably find a ticket for 800 bucks if you're flexible on your date and your yeah. exact city and then from there you can take trains i mean if you fly into bangkok you can take trains to cambodia vietnam last um oh, wow. i just went to burma it's right next door to thailand um you can it's it really is cheap really cheap to live to travel in southeast asia you can stay i stayed in a youth hostel in malaysia for two u.s dollars a night wow you can't get, you can't get much cheaper i was staying in campgrounds and like they were still five dollars yeah yeah <laughs> on your bike trip yeah right? on my bike trip <laughs> so that's you, you get a get a roof for less than i had a tent wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's like the average yeah. meal cost i guess it depends on where you are um like if you're not in a touristy area i guess if you are in so i my most recent trips were nepal mm -hmm. nepal probably you could have a very nice meal for under five u.s dollars um same with burma yeah. or myanmar it's called now um in China, you can eat incredibly cheaply if you want for a dollar. Um, although, 
although sometimes food safety could be yeah could be an issue if yeah. you're eating street food but um in Hong Kong a meal is ridiculous if you're if you want western food you're going to pay 50 bucks for your meal oh, 50 wow. US yeah and um if you go to a touristy place like Bali I, I, I don't encourage people, I wouldn't encourage people to go to these places that they've heard about for the last 20 years, like Bali, because you heard about it 20 years ago, and 20 years ago, it was beautiful, it was sort yeah. of untouched, it was this paradise, but now you go, and it's, it's like just... overrun with people. Oh, and... yes, and it's it's overrun with drunk Australians, and the, the locals are, <laughs> of course, you know, bitter against the tourists yeah. who I've, are I've there. heard that a lot from other travelers that the, the australians in that region can be pretty rough <laughs> all the college students go party <laughs> not to say anything bad about australians no. i'm about to move to australia i love that country it's great but i've met some the, good australians so yeah you know australians are great but the australians in bali uh, in on kuta beach which is the super touristy you know surf area yeah it's like spring so. breakers in the U.S. probably. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah. it's probably what Cancun looks like when yeah, it's full yeah. of American college kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, you don't recommend that. <laughs> so I don't recommend, no, I don't recommend these places uh, that are, well, the places that you hear about in the States, I yeah. guess. You know, try to go off the beaten track a, a, a little bit if you can. It's sometimes it, it is hard to know, but it's worth investing in what a guidebook. What do you think book. your your favorite experience has been traveling in that area? Is there anything oh, that sticks wow. in your mind? Wow, I've had so many incredible journeys. Um, I really liked Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. uh, Sri Lanka is, it's sort of, before I went, I heard it described as a tamed down version of India. Um, and I would say that Sri Lanka, along with maybe Nepal, were among my favorites um, in terms of just the fact that there aren't many tourists. Yeah. Uh, so the locals are more, you know, they're excited to engage with the foreigners who are there because they haven't, unfortunately, they haven't, I mean, or fortunately, they yeah. haven't yet seen the kind of tourists who, yeah, yeah. you know, make it sort of a, who, who are disrespectful. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're a lot more likely to welcome you um, into their homes or to want to get to know you, to be curious about you, um, to want to share their culture. Um, and, and, uh, food is always a factor for me. So that, <laughs> that might not be as important for most people, but so the, that food stands out in those areas too. In Sri Lanka, the dish I remember the best is, um, it was buffalo curds, and they serve they serve these fresh buffalo curds. So it's like imagine Greek yogurt, but much thicker and creamier and yeah. freshly made that day from wild, roaming buffalo <laughs> milk. <laughs> that sounds pretty exotic. <laughs> and they mix it with the fresh fruit and sometimes oh, wow. honey, 
and that's what you have for breakfast with your coffee. It's just such a nice way to start the day. And if you like to surf, I love to surf. Um, Sri Lanka, the south of Sri Lanka, is a yeah. great place to surf. I um, I got a lot better on those waves, and the, there are surf instructors there who can teach you for at a very low cost mm -hmm. compared to California or the Gold Coast, Australia, yeah. for example. Um, I think maybe I paid eight dollars an hour for you know, a few hours a day of surfing for a week, maybe. That's um, a pretty good deal. It was a great deal, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and the people are just kind, and it's a fascinating culture. You know, there's some Dutch influence. It's, you know, it's similar to how you'd imagine India. The food is similar, but mm. less spicy, a little more sweet and complex. And, um... And probably less kind of overrun and hectic than yeah. you might imagine India to be, but with still with the fascinating colors and music and food. It's, it and, sounds like you could start you know. your own traveling food show here. <laughs> the way you're describing I've, all this. I've thought about it. I'm good. sorry. I'm making this more about food than, <laughs> no, than okay. living, living without a map, but <laughs> <laughs> living without a food map here. <laughs> Stuff I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually thought about doing some kind of a, you know, maybe now that I've got a laptop, I should, I should yeah. start to do a food, a food blog. Um, start taking some pictures with your phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Be one of those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh no, here she goes, <laughs> taking another picture of her meal. <laughs> See, if you have a legitimate um, blog, though, it's okay. <laughs> yeah is it okay yeah. all right well i have john's permission so i'm good <laughs> so I'm go on no i was gonna say um i remember you were into salsa dancing a lot too is that kind of a way that you are able to connect in with other people in other cultures it's like you either have a really good memory or <laughs> you're you've been stalking me i've not Facebook. been <laughs> I'm just pulling it all out. I, I got to do my research for these things. <laughs> you do. You ask great questions, John. Uh, yes, salsa dancing is, um, if you like to dance, it's also, it's a great way to connect with people when you're traveling by yourself. And it's actually how I traveled for, uh, for a, about a year and a half. Uh, virtually all my traveling was to salsa festivals. So <laughs> I went to Bangkok for the Bangkok Salsa Festival. I went to um, uh, Bali for the Bali Festival. I went to Singapore for the Singapore one. I, I went to a Zouk uh, festival. It's like a Brazilian dance mm -hmm. in in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Um, I'm just kind of and... amazed there's that much salsa dancing going on in Southeast Asia. <laughs> I would never there... Oh, you would be shocked. And... Oh. And can you guess which country is is absolutely the best for salsa dancing? You'd um, never. Uh, what in that area? Mm-hmm. And okay, let's say take all of Asia. This one's not quite Southeast Vietnam. Asia. Vietnam. I don't know. Oh no, not Southeast. I don't. I have no idea. I don't even know what I'm guessing. <laughs> it is. Believe it or not, it's Korea is just absolutely oh, really? <laughs> a mind blowing soul. Is just yeah. a mind-blowing salsa scene. The, the, I mean, the level is so high. Um, but I guess if you think about the K-pop thing and yeah. the Korean 
uh, cultural phenomenon of working really, 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 really hard at one thing until you're excellent at it and sort of, you know, making that your area of focus. And they, you know, the dancers do take it very seriously. So to be fair, you know, it's, it's sort of part of the cultural context. Japan's Japan is similar. Japan and Korea really culturally um, similar, although that neither of the countries would like to admit it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I hear. (laughs) So they're but, um, what in, in terms of being like workaholics or just like in, in sort other ways. of it's sort of um, again you know I should be up on my history before I talk about Japan and Korea <laughs> but um, they they're you know geographically nearby mm-hmm. and um, but but they're still I think because of um, because of past wars and yeah. conflicts there is still some animosity between Koreans and Japanese but the food the um you know the just the it's hard to describe culture yeah. in words you know but when you visit Japan and you visit Korea and you see how buildings are constructed and how people interact with each other and even how people dress and how people look and um types of uh, businesses and things that you see around they mm-hmm. you can't help but com- but compare them yeah um, a lot of the, the same way the cultural land- tendencies kind of yeah exactly um, and there is that yeah there is like exactly like you said um, kind of working really really hard yeah I know the Japanese don't they have a, a, a word for like actually working yourself to death yes <laughs> they do it is, but yes they do uh, yeah they do sad. i yeah i was just watching a documentary about that actually um about the number of japanese that actually work themselves to death and that's terrifying i don't it, it is terrifying and i don't know if you've if you've heard about this john but when i was in in japan um a few months ago I was just amazed by the number of people that I would see in their business suits mm-hmm. passed out at 11 o'clock at night on the sidewalk, just, just passed like out sleeping drunk. on the sidewalk, just dr- wasted oh, just wow. on the sidewalk. It's like they just got off work and just drank themselves. Something like that. Yeah. And, and Japan is so safe. No yeah. one would ever think, oh, there's a drunk guy. I'm going to take his wallet. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, you know, they feel comfortable doing that. But wow. That's interesting. It was just fascinating to me. So you, yeah. So in terms of your work schedule, I'm just curious because it sounds like you're somewhere else literally every Uh-oh. every other week. <laughs> Like, um, <laughs> is it like, eh, you know, put in like 40 hours this month and you're good? Or like, how's, how's it work with, um, teaching over there? <laughs> <laughs> so are you, you're part of a community college right now, right? Are I you, am. Are you pretending to work somewhere? What are you doing? Are you, <laughs> are you making money with your homemade peanut butter or something? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, I like to think I'm just highly efficient. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, I've, I've just, I've been very fortunate. How do um, I get this job is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been really fortunate. And I think that's probably that part of what has kept me here for four years is yeah. I, I do have a lot of flexibility, um, when I'm not 
teaching. So mm-hmm. during the school year, of course, I can't take a day off if I have class. Okay. Um, that makes sense. So what, what is it, the school year there like in terms of like compared is, to the U.S.? It's basically the same. You know, so, start classes at end of August or mm-hmm. early September, um, have a winter break, mm-hmm. and then begin again in January through May, something like that. And so, then a summer term. And at the moment, I'm just just doing some curriculum development, so I don't have any teaching teaching to do. And you can fly away to Cambodia when you feel like. <laughs> yeah, and I, I actually have taken a lot of um, I've taken a lot of unpaid leave because I wanted to travel. Last yeah. summer, I I took I think it was over a month of unpaid leave so that I could go to Greece and Italy and. Uh, where else did I go? I went to a wedding in Bali. Um, travel a, a, uh, for an extended period of time. Oh, and I went back home. Um, so it's it's nice being being a teacher. I'm, I guess teachers in the states have have that flexibility as yeah. well. Though I have a friend who's visiting town at the moment who said he's teaching at a secondary high school it's called in the states um mm-hmm. <laughs> a high school and he gets he gets nine nine weeks off every year yeah and yeah, uh, one of my good so... friends and his wife are both teachers so this is their time off right now <laughs> oh yeah that's great and yeah so you, they part... they can just travel and hang out and relax <laughs> like, so they basically crazy. basically have three months off together and then probably in the winter they get a month off as well. Yeah, cl- I think it's like two to three weeks, probably, probably more like three. But um, actually, when I did That's... that, when I did that bicycle trip, I met um, this woman. She's a retired teacher. She just recently retired, and she said her and her husband are both teachers. He's still a professor, I think. But she said ever since their twenties, every summer they would like go somewhere else in the world and do like a two to three month bicycle trip. And just tour around. So, oh man, yeah, they're just That's traveling great. everywhere their whole lives. That's the way to go. I yeah. think that having a having a job that gives you some flexibility to do what you really want to do in your mm-hmm. free time, aside from having a job that you like, is just it is just the secret to to happiness. You yeah. know, if you're not someone who can be stuck inside a work schedule, and I don't think many of us are uh and i you know it's it's a it's a really strange thing about how society has developed now that we we just tend to work many more hours than our than our ancestors ever did which is crazy it's like oh we we have all we have so much more in terms of like material and money yeah and, and theoretically time but we burn it all up and just like working ourselves to death for stuff that we never even use. Exactly. (laughs) Sitting and staring at a box that, you know, damages your eyes and your posture and your gives you carpal tunnel and, and, (laughs) you know, and, and we have technology that can do a lot of this work (laughs) for us. And I, it's just really strange to me that, you know, it's, we've developed a world in which people are, are working themselves to death when, when they they don't need to to meet their basic needs you know we could work half as much as we do and still for for most of us still have have everything that we really need and we'd be much healthier because of it because we're sleeping enough getting exercise getting outside laughing you know 
Yeah, I think we're just so conditioned to spend all that money. Like you, you've actually managed to prioritize and and realize that you wanted to travel. But I think most people just, you know, it, it just doesn't. They, it doesn't even cross their mind. They just do it automatically, and they're like, "Where's all yeah. my money?" <laughs> I mean, I've been yeah. guilty of it in the past, so I'm trying to change my ways. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. There must be something about you know, sort of. Well, I've got this, you know, I've, I've got this big paycheck coming. What am I going to spend it on yeah. rather than, oh, I've got this paycheck coming. That means, yeah, maybe I can, you know, quit my job and <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, experience over things, you know? That's, yeah. That's yeah. Kinda... Yeah. Not that I'm, you know, encouraging everyone to quit, <laughs> yeah. to quit their it's, jobs. But... Someone's got to do these things. <laughs> Just... It's true. Yeah. But I, you know, if you look at what people say on their deathbeds, um, I think the number one regret that people have in life is that they worked too hard, that they didn't do the things that they really wanted to do Mm -hmm. instead of um, working. And yeah, that they just took their jobs too seriously. And I think in in my youth, I'm trying to prevent that. Of course, I work hard, but... But health comes first, and um, happiness, you know, comes before before um, professional yeah success. Just making a buck or something. Yeah, yeah, making a buck, and and ultimately, I think if you're healthy and you're happy, you're going to be in a better place to make decisions and work more efficiently and more intelligently. Yeah. Anyways, so it's better to. Give yourself the fun, give yourself the sunshine, the fresh air, the exercise, the experiences, the excitement, the emotions, you know, all those things that you then need to be able to be in a work environment Mm -hmm. and really concentrate your full energy to doing a good job with whatever task you have in front of you. Yeah, you have that energy and emotion to give. Yeah. Yeah, and you're refreshed. Yeah, I think I saw a video that was going around not too long ago. Um, I think some of my cycling friends, it was it might even been bicycle related, like a someone that was doing a tour in South America, I think. And uh, it was basically talking about how routine is kind of the the um, I can't remember how he phrased it, but something like the killer of time. Like time flies by if you just mm. live in a routine. And like the more you break mm. it up and do things differently or go on impromptu adventures, the more memories you create and the, it kind of slows down time a little bit. Because in, in a way, time right. is just subjective, you know. It's, it's, um, it's true. One minute can seem like forever and one year can fly by in a moment. So Right. Yeah. And if you're waking up and doing the same thing every day, it's... Yeah, it just all blurs together. <laughs> exactly. Where does one day end and another begin and... And what kind of memories am I creating for myself um, to look back on fondly? At the same time, though, just to sort of play devil's advocate, um, something that I do think about a lot in terms of the number of experiences that I am uh, accumulating is that you know, with every new experience that I have, I was just in Burma earlier this month and then Mm -hmm. a couple days ago I get back from Cambodia, does my second trip sort of overshadow 
the one that I took most recently. You know, maybe if I hadn't traveled for the past year, I would still think back on that trip that I took a year ago and remember what it was and remember the things I enjoyed and sort of treasure that just as much as I would treasure the one that I took a couple days ago. And and maybe you're sort of... Yeah, I mean, I I think... At least I've heard from other people. I don't. I don't think I've done it enough. But I feel like there's probably like a travel fatigue. Like mm. you've just gone. You go to so many places. You don't really have a home anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It depends. I guess it depends on what your experiences are like. Like that um, trip that I took down the coast on my bicycle. Mm. It's like I can. Yeah. Look, it was two months long, and I, I think I can look back and almost if I think about where I was at, I can remember almost every day. It's, wow! I don't know. It's it just seemed like so many things happen in those days compared to yeah. like a normal routine day. That it's, right. It's easier to go back there and kind of, you know, I don't remember every little detail, but I I can remember something from almost every day. Did you keep a journal? I sort of did. I did like a. I was gonna do a blog, but then I just did like an Instagram thing. So I took pictures mm. with my camera and, and then put them on Instagram and then typed out mm. like a little sort of like a little log of what happened that day. Sometimes it was a little a little better writing. Sometimes it was just like I got up, I ate, I went here, I did this. <laughs> but Right. But I can go back and maybe that's even part of why I remember it more because I have that to look at every once in a while. So it kind of brings those memories back. But probably, yeah, yeah it helps it helps to give you something concrete to look back yeah. on and then trigger exactly um, a positive association of memory. I think that 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 is something that is quite important, especially as you are um, having so many stimulating experiences is to, you know, keep some kind of a record. I I try to have a journal for every country that I go to just a little tiny, you know, the tiniest version of the moleskin that exists. Yeah, I try to take one with me to every country, keep it in my purse. And then whenever I have, you know, you always inevitably have downtime waiting for an hour for food that you thought you ordered, but really you didn't order. Uh Oops. Um, (laughs) Or whatever, um, (laughs) that you have time to write. And, and it's a good way to sort of reflect as you're having the experiences. Mm. And then I think about when I'm an old lady and I look back and I have my collection of journals and, and, you know, maybe my legs don't work anymore, but I can sit and I can read about Kind of the fun I had in my youth and yeah. exactly that's a yeah. good idea <laughs> yeah I'm a proponent of journaling I like I do it almost every day <laughs> do you yeah just when I go to bed usually that's they're impressive. they're probably not that exciting either but <laughs> no I I mean that's that is really impressive my my mom does that as well every single night just one paragraph about yeah. you know just anything like and 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 then whenever she wants to know what date exactly was it that you know Hannah got her wisdom teeth taken out, you know she can yeah she can pull it up and that's and remember pretty awesome. It. Yeah, I'm Is, I'm not every day, but when I'm when I'm kind of you know get into a habit of it, I'll do it almost probably like during the week, the weekends, if I'm like out late or something that it doesn't happen. But I have like a weird, right. a strange like. <laughs> kind of technique that I've created around it which I don't know it might be embarrassing to talk about but oh talk about uh, it <laughs> so I don't I don't know I just like I tried to at one point I was like I don't, I don't want to write anything negative in these um I do sometimes write morning pages which are like stream of consciousness things just to get oh. like everything out of my head if I'm going to actually do any real writing but um oh. for the journal I have it broken down so I'll, 
I can't even remember what they mean. Oh, so I'll write like an S <laughs> and that's for successes. And I'll like write everything that I got done that day that I thought was, you know, something positive. Nice. Um, so I'll write all those down. And then I do like an, <laughs> I put a little L for like things I learned that day and I'll try to write at least one thing down. And usually they're pretty lame, but I'm like, ah, oh, there's got to be something. <laughs> and then I'll put like M for like a memory and then a T for a whole bunch of things I'm thankful for. And then I'll put a G for like something I'm grateful for. So I try to pick something like a little more, um, a little, a little stronger than like the thankful parts. Just like, thanks for this. Thanks for that. <laughs> Someone gave me. Uh, a piece of candy. I don't know. <laughs> you know, just little stuff. Well, uh, again, so. there are so many studies that show that gratitude is directly correlated with happiness and well-being. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, when you're, yeah. I've read a lot of self-help books at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too many for what it's worth. But um, so yeah, that's kind of my routine. And then I think at the end, I, I put an A for like ask for ask for something. So I'll just ask, kind of like the universe or whatever. Just put it out there something that I'm kind of hopeful for. Something that you want. Yeah. And then, um, I like that yeah, system. so that's kind of my little system at the end of the night. And it also keeps you positive. You know, I noticed yeah, that yeah. you don't have anything like bullshit, you know, you don't have like a <laughs> things to complain about. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think at your... one time when I was doing some journey, like I've, you know, the habits kind of come and gone over the years, but I mean, there's been times where I think I would just like write all the stuff I was complaining about. And right. At some point I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to write down things that were good. So yeah. Yeah. Force my brain to focus on the positive and side. So I think there is something to be said for when you're going through a hard time, you know, when you're injured, yeah. I had a, a foot injury for a year and I couldn't dance for a year and I was just utterly miserable and yeah. depressed, um, for that first year that I was in Hong Kong and during that time so that I didn't make everyone else's life miserable, <laughs> I just wrote. I just wrote down, you know, everything I was angry or bitter yeah. or sad about, you know, every single day and got it out in my journal. And now I can look back at that and I can think, well, wow, I'm so thankful that I got through that period. And yeah, it is. I think and, it's a good um, thing to do that, too, because it's, it's cathartic. Yeah. You're just a lot of those things just go in circles in your head and you need to you need to get it out. Yeah, you need to get it out. But you don't want to wine to everyone yeah who you don't want to get it out to other people exactly <laughs> put it on other people or something exactly yeah but when things are going well i mean what a great way to um track your daily thoughts to to write it down yeah which might and actually be that. why when I, when things aren't going well i don't do it as much because like, screw mm. that <laughs> I yeah i want to put those down so maybe i should yeah. just bitch bitch in there a little bit <laughs> maybe yeah. i mean maybe if it if it helps get some of the negativity mm -hmm. out you yeah. know onto the paper it's better there than in your head and yeah exactly spirit <laughs> so getting back to you a little more um just kind of in all your travels and uh your choices and you know moving to macau and and studying education have are there any like major obstacles or fears that you can think of that you've had to overcome? Like, For me, uh, I would say most, my only fears really have been, uh, financial. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I don't have a fear of flying. You know, I, I've always felt very safe and capable and self-sufficient traveling mm -hmm. alone and, 
you know, as a woman, I really have not felt threatened um, during my travels aside, aside from Bali, actually Bali was, I, I had, I was, um, I was attacked in a dark alley. I had money stolen. I had so many bad things happen during two weeks in Bali. I just, you know, maybe my perception's colored, but I don't recommend, I just (laughs) have bad memories (laughs) of that. But anyways, aside from that, you know, the traveling, traveling, I, I, I would love to send the message that it's just not as scary or dangerous or expensive as people say it is. You know, it's just, yes, of course, when you're in a new place, you're more likely to maybe get a little bit ripped off. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're going to lose something because, you know, you're in a new place. You forget where you put something, you drop something, whatever. Yeah, sure. Bad things happen. I think that's especially true in like touristy areas like Bali, like you're saying. I feel like those kind of people are out there you know, hunting you down <laughs> to try to steal there something are people, from you. Yeah, there are people yes. hunting you down. And and I did have, even in Hong Kong um, earlier this year, I was at um, the peak, which is the number one tourist mm-hmm. destination in Hong Kong because you can see the entire uh, skyline and harbor. And it's a beautiful view. That's but cool. I was up on the peak doing somersaults with my friends and I threw my be- my purse down and before I knew it, you know, I did a couple of somersaults and I looked over and my purse was, was gone. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> even in Hong Kong, which is a, you know, it's one, it is actually one of the safest places on the planet, but it's a tourist yeah. destination. So yeah. for people traveling, yeah, of course, like if you're at the Arc de Triomphe or <laughs> if you're, um, the London Eye or, uh, whatever, you're probably going to have to keep an eye on your stuff but but the i guess and and i don't mean to contradict myself what i want to say is that the world is not as mean as we think it is you know the u.s is well a lot of the world thinks as the of the u.s as a really mean dangerous place because of the gun laws and the homicide rates and so on the school shootings and Uh all those things but People, people around the world are, are not as, they're not any different from you, whatever country you're in, you know, we're all basically the same and yeah, theft happens. It's going to happen anywhere, but, um, but there isn't much to be afraid of in terms of traveling. There's a lot to gain. Mm -hmm. Um, most people people are willing to help you out too. And yeah. And that's something I've, I've learned. I remember, you know, being in Paris and, Um, you know, my bank account, I couldn't access my bank account. It was the middle of the night. I was in a train station and, um, I was going to sleep in the train station. And and I asked a girl working there if it was safe to sleep in the train station. And she said, no, it's not, you know, there are a lot of like homeless people and drug dealers who stay here overnight and you can't stay here. I'm taking you to a hotel and I'm paying for it. And she immediately like put me in her car, took me to the nearest hotel, paid for my hotel and gave me yeah, it was just people are so kind to you when you do find yourself in a situation yeah. where you need it. And that's when you realize how good humans can be, um, you know, even for people kind of outside of their their tribe. And yeah. and so, you know, I, I I I definitely got off topic there. <laughs> <laughs> so we were moving towards your fears. <laughs> This is my fears. These are the things you don't fear. <laughs> my fears. Okay, my fears. Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess I would say the only the only thing that I I do sort of keep in mind with all this traveling mm. is, you know, am I on track with, you know, paying off my student loan debt? Is my salary enough to um, to give pay for all my travel plus um, give me enough to to live on yeah. once my current position ends. So for example, my job is ending in a couple of weeks mm. and I'm going to India to do a yoga teacher training program for a month. Yeah. Maybe talk about then, that a little bit. I'm kind of curious. How did you okay. decide to do that? Yeah. Um, okay, sure. I, so I've, I've been interested in yoga for about a few years now. I started in Macau, uh, when my foot was injured, I mm -hmm. needed a new way to exercise, um, aside from running and dancing. And so I started doing yoga. I didn't like it at first. Most people don't like it at first. So if you don't like it, maybe give it a few shots. Um, but I didn't, I hated it at first, but, but it was the only thing I could. And then it was like, suddenly I realized what, what benefits it was giving me in terms of mindfulness and, mm -hmm. um, sort of it's linked to the meditation thing. And yeah, cause it's not just and, about uh, working out. It's exactly it's the mind body yeah. connection. Yes. Absolutely. That's what it is. So I've been wanting for the past few years to do a yoga teacher training. And now finally, you know, um, I'm, I'm finishing up my position here and I'm planning on moving to the next place. And I thought during the in-between time, you know, I've saved up enough that I can take mm -hmm. a few, a couple months off and, um, do a training in, in India and in Rishikesh, the world capital of yoga. Wow. And then so you're going to the source. <laughs> I am. Yeah, That's pretty awesome. I am. It's going to be, it's going to be inter an interesting, um, month. I'm looking forward to it. I'll do some freelance work for the next few months, mm -hmm. uh, while I go to India, then, then to, I'll be back in Ohio. So maybe I'll see you, John. Um, yeah, we should definitely try to meet up. Yeah. Yeah. For a couple of months. And then, my plan is to move to Australia. I don't know where yet, but Sydney and Melbourne are looking pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of good things um, about both, so I don't thanks. think you can go wrong there. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, there's some, you know, there's always some uncertainty when you're when you're leaving a, a nice, steady and income, and you're, yeah. you know, you're embarking on maybe six months of of, um, unemployment and then banking on finding a good job. So, but, so going yeah, back to your, work out. your fear a little bit, is it, is it more of like just My fear. kind of running out of money or not being able to live, continue the lifestyle of being able to do travel in between work or. I think it's really just something that, you know, everyone who comes from a family that's not well off probably yeah. has to deal with, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you've paid for your own education in the U S and you didn't have support from your family, yeah. you are inevitably in some kind of financial, <laughs> you know, you're concerned about your finances. Yeah. Um, and that's just how the system is set up in the States. And so, you know, I do have $50,000 of debt to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I've, I've already paid off so much of it, yeah. but, um, but I, I do have that always in the back of my head. And part of me says, Hannah, you should be responsible and, you know, work on paying off your debt. But then I think, okay, well, if all my money goes into my debt, then there goes my twenties and I yeah. haven't done anything fun, you know, and I've wasted my youth. So it's sort of a, 
trying to find the right balance between living a life of fun and adventure and doing the things that I love. And while I'm still young and healthy and I'm capable and I have all this energy and curiosity about the world and I'm still developing as a person and that's a form of of education and development. Yeah. And then the other side that's like, well, what about the future, Hannah? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what about the future you? You know, if you don't find a job that that pays well or, I mean, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sound me. like you need a lot, though, in terms of like material no. things. So no, no. It no, should I'm, be hard to pay that debt off, even with, no, with your, yeah. your travel and, bug. Habits. And really, the only thing that sometimes enters my mind is something like, well, what if, you know, what if I break my leg or yeah. what if my mom gets cancer or, you know, just sort of worst case scenario type things. Mm -hmm. I break my leg while I'm not employed. I don't have health insurance. And then what happens? You know, yeah. it's it's just it's just those sort of emergency situation type things. But you can't spend your whole life you know, you can't base all your decisions on fear. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise you're just, you won't do you anything. Know, you won't do anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I wouldn't say there's actually a lot of, a lot of, um, fear about, about anything else that I can talk about or think of. Yeah, I think financial fear is, um, is pretty normal. Yeah. It's yeah. not terrible. I think you're doing all right. Thanks. Be good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. do you have any like habits or rituals or anything that you do every day to kind of like, I don't know, either keep you in a good mindset or help you focus for work or I don't know. Is there anything that you do um, kind of on a normal everyday basis? I I exercise every day mm -hmm. um, a lot. <laughs> What's a lot? Oh. <laughs> uh, at least an hour, usually two hours. <laughs> That's quite a bit. So I, I do, I really uh, have a lot of physical energy that I need to get out somehow. And I've learned that I can't work well unless I get out all of my physical energy. And then I can, you know, sit down and yeah. focus on what I need to focus on. So that that's sort of a, a I mean, it's, it's also something that I think keeps me... If, if I miss a day or two of exercise, you know, I don't sleep as well. I start yeah. eating crappy food. I start feeling stressed out. Cortisol levels go up. You know, <laughs> you don't have the positive endorphins mm -hmm. flowing through you from a nice workout. You don't have the immune system boost. You get sick more often. And so for me, you know, exercise as well as, you know, other aspects of health like eating, eating good food, um, and sleeping well are really important to overall success and happiness and well-being. Um, if your physical self, well, I believe that we are physical beings yeah. and that there really isn't much of a separation. What's happening in my brain is directly impacted by what I do with my body and how yeah. I take care of it. And, you know, I noticed that if I make myself dinner instead of going out for dinner, the next day I wake up feeling better, Yeah, you know, cause I'm cooking with good ingredients and, and I'm cooking things that I I'm craving and meeting those needs. And so I think physical health is really for me that just, it's the most important thing, um, in terms of, 
doing well at anything else that I want to succeed mm-hmm. at in life. That's um, yeah. smart. I mean, that's it's who you are. <laughs> if you're if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. It's true. It is yeah. it is what you are. You know, your body is made up of the the food that you put into it and its shape is completely formed by the type of physical activity that you do. Mm-hmm. It's just it is, you know, the how you use your muscles and you know, if you're constantly hunched over something, you're going to have poor posture, you're going to have pain, the pain is going to you know, the pain in your spine is going to mess with your, it's going to give you other problems. You're going to be grouchier, you know, (laughs) you're going to need painkillers and, you know, you can just avoid all of that by, by, um, just keeping yourself healthy and awesome. Yeah. So do you have any, um, big influences in your life in terms of people or, Anyone you look up to that's kind of inspired you? Hmm. I've had a lot of inspirations in my life. Um, I think a lot of them have been people that have mentored me, um, Mm -hmm. either in school or at work. Um, One was Andrea, my career counselor in at BGSU, she, um, she became a really close mentor and we ended up, you know, having lunch once a week, um, while I was in college and, uh, and she had, uh, also studied higher education and student affairs. And she's the one who sort of made me realize that that's what I'd like to do as well, yeah. because I looked at her work and I looked at you know, her philosophy of, you know, how happy she was in her job and the type of person she was. And, and I thought, you know, this, I think this is something that fits me as well. And, and so she inspired me to, to, to go on, um, in that way. And another woman who's inspired me was the director of my graduate program. Um, Jenny, Jenny Bloom. She's, um, she's very well known in my field for her work on appreciative, advising, um, in the area of academic advising. And, um, and she travels the world presenting, she's the president of NACADA, which is the national association for something about academic advising. Mm -hmm. Um, and she travels, she, she actually just went to a conference in, in uh, Melbourne, um, and put, put me in touch with some of her contacts there because she knows I'm going to Australia and yeah. she's, she's just, um, traveling and doing what she loves and she's passionate about education and she's passionate about improving the college student experience. And she's, but she also runs every day, keeps herself in good shape. She writes books, she publishes prolifically, and she's just such a happy, kind, you know, laid back person. I think she was an inspiration to me as well. Um, my supervisor in grad school, Helen, um, was also an inspiration. She's a belly dancer. Um, (laughs) I was a salsa dancer and I I just, I loved, you know, her work life. Exactly. Her work life balance. She was a belly dancing feminist, you know, (laughs) um, just (laughs) really a lovely person. And, uh, and uh my supervisor in Hong Kong has also been an inspiration to me. She's um 
um, a poet who has lived all over the world. She lived in Nigeria and, um, and just, uh, finished her PhD very late in life. I think maybe in her fifties yeah. and now has retired and wants to go into theater. You know, she wants, oh, wow. to, she wants to act. <laughs> still following dreams. That's she's, awesome. Yeah. She's still following dreams and, um, and so I think that there have been a lot of women in my life who have been strong, yeah. who have been ambitious, who have been career focused, um, and who have also had a, a life outside of, outside of work who have, had that who have inspired me. Yeah, yeah. To be that kind of woman. And, you know, a lot of them didn't rely on their families or a partner to do things for them, or provide for them. You know, they, they did it all themselves um, or they're, if they are in a relationship, sometimes they're the, you know, the, the breadwinner, you know? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I think that seeing women like that, who are, who are doing amazing things and who are capable, self-sufficient, strong, independent thinking and fearless in a lot of ways. Um, it's all that, I mean, they're just my favorite types of people to meet. Oh, that's awesome. It sounds like you've um, had a lot of great people in your life. Yeah, I've been fortunate to meet some wonderful people. And then people that you meet traveling are always an inspiration as well. Um, I just met someone in, a man in Cambodia who um, was telling us his story. He, he was born at the end of the war. Cambodia was um, affected by the... I guess it was the Vietnam War is what mm. we know it as in the States. Um, and he, so he was born into a time where there was poverty. There were landmines everywhere. Jeez. Um, I think his dad might have been killed by a landmine when he was three years old. His wow. dad, his mom died when he was 10. And he he didn't finish his education because he had to start working and provide for himself. Um, and then he, he broke his leg. Uh, and he couldn't pay for a hospital visit and a doctor to fix it. So he ended up having to just let it heal naturally. Yeah. And what that meant for him was I, about a year or so of throwing his broken leg behind his neck. What? Which meant he couldn't walk. He wasn't using crutches. Yeah. He was scooting on his, on his bottom wow. along the ground. And of course, in that you know physical condition, he couldn't work, so he had to he had to live on the streets and and beg um, until his leg healed. That is and crazy. he had <laughs> he had no family and no one to support him, no health system to you know give him what he <laughs> what he needed to yeah. get through this. And so he just had to suffer. And but now it was so encouraging to meet him because now he's. He's working at a hotel. He's kind of the main, you know, manager at the hotel. He has a beautiful wife and a 20-day-old infant. Oh, and wow. he was just <laughs> telling us, you know, about his family and showing us pictures. And we all had, you know, my friend who I was traveling with and I had tears in our eyes because we were just so touched by his story and and so happy that, you know, that he has a family now. And he said, you know, all these years I lived without a family but now I have my own family. And even though, you know, life is hard, I make $4 a day, four US dollars a day. Wow. Um, 
and I live in a tiny room that leaks and it's, the walls are made out of tin. You know, I have love in my life and, you know, I'm okay. And I mean, just meeting people like that is really just shakes you out of whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're worried about. It's like, wow. You know, I, I have nothing to, I have nothing to worry about because look at him. He's, he's happier than most people I know. He, you know, I, I was there for four days. I always saw him with a big smile on his face. And, and it's because he's, you know, he's, he's decided to just be thankful for what he has and he's earned what he has, everything he has. And you think if someone, if he can do it, if he can do that, gosh, anyone can do anything. Yeah. We have infinite resources compared to that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's that's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, our debt seems like nothing compared yeah, know. to, you know. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this is a not as a extreme of a question, but I'm curious what your answer is. Um, do you have any books that you like constantly catch yourself recommending to people? Is there any anything that stands out either hmm. even if it's not something you recommend that you just one of your favorite books? Personally, I loved the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, mm-hmm. um, but it's probably more of a personal connection than anything because for me it was highly nostalgic. It reminded me of my upbringing yeah. um, in Nigeria, you know, on the mission field because this is a family that uh, lives in the Cong- Congo. Um, and very similar sisters, you know, and sort of a, um, coming into this this group of people who already have their set of traditions and religious ideas and yeah. trying to bring new religious ideas and what that is like. Yeah. Um, so personally, oh, excuse me, personally, <laughs> um, <laughs> I... I identified with that book, um, in terms of books that I recommend. Hmm. I know it sounds sort of cliche and I hated myself in Bali for having liked this book, but I think, (laughs) I think for, (laughs) I have to say eat, pray, love was a bit of an inspiration for me, even though as I was reading it, I was like, I can't believe I'm reading this. This is so cliche and cheesy, but I did, I did enjoy that book just as sort of a light, you know, a light, inspirational, happy, uplifting, um, story of a woman traveling around the world and what she gained from her experiences. And I also liked another book by her called commitment, Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm -hmm. And it's about marriage. And she, she does research on marriage across cultures. Um, and I just, I like her as a, as a writer in terms of the light and stuff, her style and the fact that it's anecdotal, but it's also research based and, you know, it's cross cultural and so on. Um, gosh, I've not read any of her stuff. I'll I'll have to check it out. These are all very okay. female oriented. Sorry, that's, that's okay. all female writers. <laughs> I can read a female writer. <laughs> it's not. Um, it's not all male listening. 
audience, I don't think. <laughs> the, the seven people that listen to this. <laughs> um, I did. Did we take existentialism together? You uh, and I? We may have. I took it with Callan. Yeah, I, think, I did too. Yeah, I think I think we did. I know that we had a couple classes together. I liked some of the books we read in that class. Mm -hmm. That was probably one of my favorite um, classes, actually. Mm -hmm. Which Schopenhauer, one? despite his views on women, yeah. I think is interesting. Nietzsche, um, yeah. Sartre, the, the, the however you pronounce his name, Sartre. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that guy, I think. Yeah. Simone de Beauvoir. You know, yeah. I, I, I think that that sort of existentialist uh, way of of seeing the world is liberating because yeah. you know the if God doesn't exist, then uh, we, where do we draw meaning? Mm -hmm. And I, I like the idea of, of it being an individual choice, yeah. what your life means, you know, what, what it means to exist, be happy, be human, and how we should go about that. What is our moral code? Um, Daniel Dennett is another philosopher yeah. that I like. Um, you you read you like Dennett I've read as some well. Of stuff, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, good. I don't have one particular book that I just think the world should read that I can think of off the top <laughs> of my okay. head, honestly. Brave <laughs> New World, Alice Huxley, and that was a good one. <laughs> Um, less heavy than 1984 for mm -hmm. sure. But if you want the same, you know, dystopian. Yeah. 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 He's a good writer. Novel. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I think we can kind of wrap it up. I don't know if you have any like final words or any, any advice for people that might want to live kind of a life of more experience and travel than, than, you know, for money and material. I mean, we all need money, but <laughs> right. what do you want to do with it, I guess? We do. Um, but yeah, maybe thinking really about um, how much money do you actually need to have the things that, that make you happy? And I'm not talking about your flat screen TV. I mean, well, maybe for some people it is, it is wor more worthwhile to have a flat screen TV yeah. than a than have an experience. But so many studies show that possessions do not buy, just simply do not buy us happiness. You know, people tend to regret the purchases that they make. They don't regret the experiences that they have. Um, and so I would say, you know, there's a great, there's a great quote somewhere, a meme that's been floating around, um, that something like if you're 20, you're healthy, um, you should go travel the world. I'm not saying it as well as th that person, yeah, but yeah. I really do. I really do believe that. And, and there are so many places that are great, even just for a year. You know, I, I would say my mentality has been, um, recently I can do anything for a year mm -hmm. and I will do anything for a year. And that was my mentality when I went to Hong Kong. That was my mentality when I went to Macau. I thought, even if I hate these places, I'll do it for a year and then, and then I'll leave, you yeah. know, and it was, it, maybe it was a bad year and, but it all very often doesn't end up being a bad year. It ends up being, wow, yeah. this is what I've learned this year. And with this knowledge, 
I can do so much more. And you start to see the world, you know, just taking one small step, like applying for a Fulbright or applying for, there's so many other programs. There's JET, you know, in Japan, there's, there's, um, Peace Corps. There's, I, I actually wrote an article about all the ways to, to, um, to go abroad. Oh, cool. Um, and I'll, I can send you the, send link the link if you yeah. like, but I put, I yeah. put little show notes up. So that'd be good. Okay, sure. Yeah. It's, it's um it's written particularly for those in higher education and student affairs. Yeah. Um, it's published in a in a in a a publication for for us, you know, in my field. But it's pretty widely applicable, yeah. um, particularly for educators who want to go abroad. And um, there's so many different ways that you can that you can make it happen and that you can get it funded if money is something yeah, yeah. that you're thinking about. Um, if money is not a concern, then what are you waiting for? <laughs> That's my only question. What are you yeah, waiting exactly. for? Why are you still, Just you know, go. why are you still living a life of routine if you don't want to? Don't be afraid of, don't be afraid of what's out there because it's a beautiful world and it's inhabited by people just like you, every corner of the world, you know, people who have the same needs, you know, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. applies to everybody. And even if we speak different languages and have different customs and, and, uh, and being a foreigner is not as difficult as you think it is. Yeah. You know, there's an expat community. There are other people like you who are foreign, who are scared, um, who are lonely, who miss their families, who don't understand the local culture, but you can, you grow so much from that experience and you find communities within those overseas communities. So I would say if there's a place that you are curious about that you want to go, all you have to do is get online. You know, we have this great resource at our fingertips, no matter who you are now, yeah. you know, if you have access to a computer, you can do the research and you can do the, that application and get into that program and make it happen. So I would say, you know, don't be scared. Just, just, um, just do it. And you never know, where it's going to take you and how exciting it's going to make your life to yeah. see more of the world. That's true. And I think, I think, uh, the only downside to the internet now is like, I think people get this anxiety of like, I've got to know everything before I do something, you know mm. what I mean? Like, so I think it's like, sometimes you just got to throw some things in a bag and buy a ticket mm -hmm. and go, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and anything that you need, and I've learned this with packing because now, now I can pack for a trip in 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anything that you really need, you're going to find wherever you land, That's you know, true. you need a razor. It's going to be there. Yeah. You know, you think you need whatever it is. You need gum. You don't need a packet. It's going to be there. You know, <laughs> anything, any little like silly thing you can think of, you know, and if it's not there, you probably didn't need it in the first place. Yeah. Um, unless it's medication or something, but, um, but yeah, you know, it, it also teaches you to kind of simplify and need less. I'm going to move to India with two, I'm going to go to India with two suitcases, everything uh -huh. I've accumulated the last five years and a couple suitcases. So I'll get it. I'll try to condense it and take those suitcases to India than the U S and then Australia. <laughs> so I'm trying to take as little as possible to kind of minimize. Yeah, see, see, that's the benefits of not buying a bunch of material stuff too. It's easier yeah. to travel and get up and move. <laughs> exactly. Yep. It's win-win. Exactly. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if you have anywhere people can follow you on the internet or anything. Uh, maybe there's going to be like a, a, an online food show or blog coming soon, but <laughs> 
Oh, wow. I don't know if you have anything. Hey, that's inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) By the time you put this blog up, or by the time you put this podcast up, I better have a blog. Yeah, exactly. You need that first first post. (laughs) (laughs) I'll work on that. Yeah, I'll work sh- on that. If you do, let me know. I'll post it. But I sure will. I don't, I don't know. Do you have anywhere that you post anything now? Or I, I just got a computer, so I don't know. <laughs> I did, you know. I mean, I, I might as well use it, right? Yeah. Um, I did have a travel uh, blog called Hannah Travels. It's Tumblr. It's uh-huh. a Tumblr account, yeah. Hannah Travels. But I have, haven't have touched it probably for four years. But okay. you can see my life in Macau if you... <laughs> <laughs> Learn a little um, bit about like, Macau. And uh, yeah, a food blog is 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 something that, that I should start. So I will... Um, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll try. I'll give it a shot, John. <laughs> and I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been... Uh awesome conversation and I could probably ask you a million more questions. Maybe we'll have to do it again sometime. Sure. I love that. It's been fun. Thank you, John. All right. I'll talk to you later, Hannah. Thank you. So you can follow me, John Jerko at John Jerko on Twitter and Instagram and find out more about Odyssey and Muse, including the show notes for each episode at odysseyandmuse.com. But most importantly, go to iTunes, subscribe and rate the show. That's how the show gets noticed and grows. So thank you for listening. And until next time, follow your true north.